I'm tempted to ask you if this is Dolly again, just so that I can, I can get the reaction we got last time. Is it that soft, lilting voice that gives that impression of Dolly Parton? Absolutely. That is not Dolly Parton. That, as the truck goes by, because we're outside today, because it's a beautiful day in the shade, um, just to preface, you're going to hear background noise throughout, and it's just nature. So let's love it because I think it actually ties into the wines we're drinking and to the music that is Blind Faith. Um, Adam and I uh, had not discussed the wines we we're going to pull today for uh, the um, podcast, which is Bottom of the Bottle, which um, we always forget to introduce. We didn't this time. Look at that. <laughs> I haven't had enough to drink yet. Um, <coughs> and we ended up picking very similar wines, similar styles, similar methods of agriculture, um, and they go perfectly in nature, and we'll talk more about that later. But And also, you know, um, Steve Winwin's voice is so lilting and, and ethereal, then you have kind of this very um, pared down playing of Eric Clapton, um, it's kind of back to basics almost, and I think that's what we're we're drinking today. Yeah, it, you, you strip wine and music, but both actually have become very produced, right? So with music, you're in the studio. You have all sorts of new tech and gadgets to play with. We, I mean, we can do an entire podcast we're going off the rails on auto tune, probably, and what that does <laughs> to people's voices and how that fixes things, but. Uh, that same corrective nature can happen in the winery as well. And it's, it's not a bad thing per se, right? The ability to, to fix things, make things better is, is, is good. But yeah, that, that's a stripped down track. Uh, these very much are stripped down wines. Both of these, uh, one's, one's Italian, one is Spanish. Uh, they're both uh, expressing the vineyard as, as much as they can with minimalist winemaking, minimalist intervention. We're, we're not playing with the chemistry set after the fact. We're not manipulating in the vineyard. You know, just what does the fruit from this area give us? And is it worth drinking? And we're drinking it, so the exactly. answer is yes. <laughs> exactly, I mean, there's something I think really beautiful about how the, the arc of winemaking has changed because, you know, hundreds of years ago, it was all organic farming because they didn't have pesticides, they didn't have herbicides. And then um, we know now that things like Roundup are carcinogens and are bad for us. Um, that uh, napalm that was used um, during the Vietnam War gave a lot of people cancer and all those things were watered down and we use those in our gardens and our, and our fruits and vegetables that we eat today. Um, and you see this arc of, of food consumption change from mass produce to farm the table to organic farming um, to the respect of nature and uh, you're seeing the same in the world of wine as well both of these wines are organically produced um, and which is also it's just kismic that we are outside because it's just yeah. it's where it all starts from yeah and, and I think it's important too because we're going we're gonna to sound uh, very hoity-toity probably during this podcast about organic farming and natural natural wine, natural and, and, and you are, we're just going to sound really snobby about it. Um, 
the the mass-produced things, the, the mass-produced food and mass-produced wine exist kind of for, for the same reason. When we have to feed the world, right? Yeah. And for for a host of reasons, which we can't get into right now, because again, it'll take up the entire podcast, like auto tune would. Um, <laughs> it is not necessarily cost-effective to make wine this way. It can be, but it is it isn't always. And if you're trying to bring your product to the widest amount of people and with food, food's essential for life, right? It, yeah. You have to, we want to feed as many people as we possibly can. It's why hunger is so awful. Um, those mass-produced items become important to make sure that someone has food somewhere. So the, the, the knock, it's going to sound like we're knocking that, that style in general. We're not, there's a place for it. It's important. And we, again, we, we, I want as many people to have access to wine as as possible. So, mass-produced wine is a good thing too. Uh, but the there is a there's a balance between that extreme level where what we do causes as much harm as good as it does, and the other end of the spectrum, which is the you know the the purest expression of what it is. Because unfortunately, if we found everything like they they do uh, La Naturelle, we couldn't feed the world <laughs> or supply enough wine for all of us to drink. So yeah. but there's a balance in there someplace, which is a whole other discussion. But I wanted to get that out of the way now so that we don't go off the rails for it 20 minutes well, from I'm, now. <laughs> I'm going to, actually, because it's what I do. But also, I think it's so interesting that you said that because in that same sense, just to counter that and to be the devil's mm-hmm. advocate, mm-hmm. we also live in a society where you know we waste 40% of our food. Mm. Um, 100%. How much of that mass-produced wine sits at the on the bottom shelf of your packy store um you know covered in dust that's 15 20 years too old that ends up being thrown out or consumed and and kind of gross and disgusting you know um and i agree actually that conventional farming you know has its place and is important but i think we can also um if we were more conscious especially in you know wealthier countries more conscious of how we ate of how we drank, of how we consumed, then we might have more of the kind of healthy natural foods for, you know, for other people. That's true. We, we, we can do better, absolutely, all around. Uh, it's the, the, the food waste, wine waste, I mean, it's waste in general is an awful thing. Yeah. And there are solutions that are out there that could, prob- could be implemented probably fairly quickly. Yeah, that would help with those things, and they need to be done. Although um, my waist has gotten smaller since I've been bike riding, and my waist is quite nice now. So there you go. That waist is okay. Uh, mine is not. <laughs> since, since ever since COVID, it's gone in, in the exact opposite direction. Just, just so. more of you to love, Adam. Mm-hmm. Just more of you to love. So, Adam, what did what did you what did you mm. pour? So I picked. This is this is fairly new to to us uh, at the company. Uh, this is, as we always say, Manny and I work in wine. This is uh, Adalia. Uh, Valpolicella. This is Adalia is a is a winery is a is a winery project in. Obviously, we're in Italy. Valpolicella is the place, right? Um, but it's so in in Verona, and they are minimalist intervention producers. So they have several vineyards that they work with, where they are growing the fruit. All the all the Farming is done organically. In some cases, I believe it's done biodynamically, but at least organically. Um, on a lot of a, a Italian wine, in particular, you, you will not see a stamp on this bottle of you know organic certification. 
and maybe it's coming for further vintages, but the, the cost of being certified organic, if you're a small producer in, in the old world is, it's really expensive and it jacks the price up of your wine. And to them, it's not important. Like you, we, we should know that they're doing it organically, right? That's not as, yep. it's not as an important thing to them in Italy as it is to us in the, in the States. So you don't always see the stamp, but it, 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 it is being done. Uh, and yeah, they're just trying to, have the greatest expression of those estate vineyards as possible in their bottle. Awesome. Um, you know, they use the same, I'm gonna forget the size of the oak barrel, but they use a, a conical oak barrels for, for aging and fermentation and so on. Um, but it's the same size barrel for all their all their projects. That's awesome. So they're not, the, the Amarone, the Recciotto, the Vapolicello, the Rapasso, it's all in the same vessel. So it's really showing just the, the fruit and how it expresses itself differently by the land and where it's coming from and so on. So it's a really cool project. Uh, Adalia itself, uh, the name of the winery comes from a longer Italian word that I cannot pronounce that translates as ladybug that has uh, some black dots on its wings because the ladybug is very important for pest control in the vineyard. It's their allies, they say in the back of the label. So, um, and this, this wine is called Laute which is a slang term we've been told by our friend Shiro uh, for people because Valpolicella is the it, it's a wine for for all people it's a wine of the people so it's not as lavish as yeah. like the Amarone yeah you know well, I, I the inside joke I thought Laute translated to lavish and I was, I was corrected <laughs> right before we came on this podcast so I do not feel like an idiot <laughs> but the you know Amarone is the different style of Valpolicella that definitely is for the the, the lavish lifestyle mm -hmm. do you know what Valpolicella means it means Valley of Many Cellars mm. because there are like five, I think, different mountain ranges. And within the valleys of these mountains you have, that's where all the wineries are located. Um, this is, I love like this region. I don't drink much of it because um, it's not that I'm a French Spanish wine snob. It just sets my focus. So then, you know, I don't drink as much Italian. But what's really cool about this, this region in general, that you can make wines from the simple everyday wine for the people like this wine here and i don't mean simple in uh, a negative sense you know it is but the flavors are really direct it's really easy to drink put this on ice not you know ice cubes but i mean like chill it down and have it outside on a on a warm late summer day or an early fall day and it's perfect um it to me it's a great like aperitif style but then you have the range of wines that have become more expressive like you have Rapasso, um well you have Amarone, which is means the bitter one, and that's where they're drying the grapes for three months. Um, so you're basically making wine out of raisins. Ripasso is the entry-level style of wine, and then if they're just passing that wine through the leaves or the, the grape must of that Amarone, and it can make a real fruit-forward style of wine that's a little more brooding in the palate, and then Amarones are just like powerful and rich and uh short ribs you know that's yeah yeah that's about it <laughs> it's the the rapasso in particular in, in in america has become huge because we like richer full-bodied dare i say slightly sweet red wines as a collectively so it, it that's really overtaken and from my perspective of policella in in the marketplace um this is none of those things. No. Uh, this is this is really soft in body. I mean, if you're listening, you cannot see the color, but you could read a newspaper through this wine. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it is it is it's a pretty hue, but it, it, it's it's see through. Um, it had a beautiful sheen to it. Uh, there is 
mean, there's sweet fruit, but there's no there's no sugar on this wine. I mean, this this is a dry style wine, um, and the alcohol's low. We're we're, we're twelve and a half. You can you can drink the sucker at lunch and function <laughs> for the rest of your day, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I this is one of the side note. We go off on these tangents sometimes, but I think this is worth it. The alcohol level, you know, 12 and a half to 13 to 13 and a half to, to 14, so on. We don't think of it as a big jump from like 12 and a half to 14 because it's, oh, it's a, it's, it's a point and a half. It's a huge jump. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this isn't like, you know, eating eating cookies where you're like, oh, I want to have, a, you know, another half of an Oreo and it's... <laughs> it's it's not a big deal. It's, yeah. a, it's a huge jump. Well, first of all, if you can have just a half an Oreo. You have amazing willpower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it's, a, it's a crude example, but the, this is a sessionable red wine yeah. that you can, again, enjoy it during the day. You, you'll still be able to function. Um, you can have it as a cocktail. You don't need to have food. It, it, it's, a, it's just really, it's really well made. It's really pretty. I mean, almost, honestly, it, <clears throat> I could see someone having this blind, mistaking it for Pinot. Yeah. Um, I was going to say both, like Beaujolais. Oh uh, like yes. That, you know. Just the, the, those delicate flavors and aromas and whatnot. It's, yeah. it's It's really well done. It's so complex. And then like, so <clears throat> uh, about a couple months ago, we were tasting some wines from the Loire Valley, and we were tasting a Chinon, which is one of the villages in the Loire, 100% Cabernet Franc. And you had uh, said it was like putting your... Um, walking into a florist and, and just smelling a bouquet of flowers. And I get something very similar to this wine. Um, I think it's so interesting too when we talk about, you know, it goes into the environment and, and why are organic wines and natural wines and and ecological um, agriculture and farming and cattle production, all that stuff, why it's so important. 12.5% 15 years ago, 20 years ago, was it's a big wine. it was it was that's what all wines were and everyone thought oh a common glass of wine is 12 percent alcohol um it's changed dramatically over the years and if you think of california for example where you have these wines that are 15 percent alcohol and they're still sweet you find it also in spain you find it in, in like the rhone in france and parts of italy i'm sure um sicily maybe south america you know, you're getting wines that are 15% alcohol, but there's still a lot of residual sugar inside, which means that they're not fermenting all that that sugar out, which means that those wines, if they were fully dry, would be 17% alcohol. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I think at 17 and a half, it's no longer qualified as wine. It becomes some, something else. But, you know, that was kind of the, the, the gold standard. And now... Um, you know, we look at wines that are 12, 12 and a percent as being kind of this, uh, novelty. And, you know, that's because, I mean, let's face it, the climate's getting warmer and, um, Vigneron, uh, Vintners, grape growers have been seeing this for many years. I remember actually though, asking once, um, because every grape has its own like sugar level that they develop (laughs) in terms of sweetness and ripeness. I remember asking someone from Piemonte once uh, when I was working in this retail store about Barbaresco and it was like 15, 14 and a half percent, 15 percent. I'm like, this was 2006, 2005. So it was really before we really started talking about climate change. But I'd asked, you know, is this 
the reason why this is at almost 15%, does that have to do with the climate getting warmer? And he's like, no. It's like, uh, Nebbiolo is a grape that always gets a lot of sugar, but those wines now are higher and higher in alcohol. Um, and it's just, or they're sweeter wines, you know, and this is like super bone dry, really, really enjoyable. Well, it's crazy, as you, just to, to build on that, if you take one of these introductory wine classes and you're learning about body, body's the weight of the, it's the, the weight of the wine, the feel of it in your mouth, you're taught that 12 and a half is the beginning point of a full-bodied wine. Mm -hmm. And we have some of those those 14 to 15, if we're talking Charlie's Infidel, you know, which she makes beautiful wines, but some of those 16 points yeah. in. <laughs> and like 12 and a half isn't, like compared to that, like w w what's the new full? Like, yeah, exactly. And what's funny about those wines is that they're great wines. They um, are high in alcohol, but you don't, they're so well made, you don't feel it, you yeah. know? They're dangerous. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they're fruit forward, so they go down even better. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, like, so with all these regions, you have like different classifications. This is just like, an, they've, I guess what they call like normale, normale, like village level, but are, um, but I know they also do something called superiore. And that was basically like a system based on alcohol. It's exactly yeah. what we're talking about. And you see it throughout France, superior, you see it, um, throughout Italy, and it's basically saying that this wine has at least 11 to 11.5% alcohol. Because that meant that it was on the best hillside and it got the most ripeness. And I would love to go back and taste those wines now. And, and um, our, I mean, those wines are probably, would have been 20 years ago. Um, but to taste those wines now, but as they were consumed then, meaning like not 25 years old, but you yeah. know, what would those wines taste like? How would how would it jive with with our palates? I think about this oftentimes with like great Bordeaux when you know they talk about like the, the great classical growths in 1855. Would we want to drink those wines today? Mm. Would they be good? I mean, not a hundred fifty year old bottle, but our palates today, going back in time and sure. tasting those wines, what are they going to be like? And I bet you we we would feel a lot like someone that only drinks big, rich, heavy Napa cabs approaching this wine and be like, this is like, so, um, is it wine? You yeah. Know? Like, where's the body? Where's the body? Yeah. And it's like, no, where's this is, this is where the body, this is like, should be the hallmark that people are, are striving for in terms of alcohol. Um, and it's not the case so, anymore. So again, we're going off on tangents now, but who cares? It's our show. It's our, so you have no choice. You have to listen. We, we sell a beautiful, uh, Napa cab. And you guys know how I talk about Napa, but we sell an absolutely stunning Napa cap uh, called uh, J.D. Anya Cuvée. It's made by uh, Robin Lale and her family. Mm -hmm. I just, I have nothing but positive things to say about that, but all those wines expressions, they're just, they're, they're gorgeous. But that J. Daniel is stunning year after year. And there was a hundred point vintage and points don't mean a hell of a lot, but if you get a hundred... You, you did something right. Even if you want to say that it's, it's overblown, okay, well, it's, someone still gave it 100. They thought it yeah. was that good, right? So I, I have a restaurant that I know that, that, that bought some, and, and they have a really high-end Napa customer who, who ordered a bottle and, and tried it, and he sent it back. There was nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It just wasn't and i won't say the names of the things that he usually drinks because i don't want to knock any wines <laughs> but it was not one of those gigantic um 
fruit bombs yeah. that just completely overwhelm the palate that you know don't let you without the additional layers the layers may be there four or five years on the road but it, they haven't had time to develop yet or what i wasn't one of those and jay daniel's a very expressive you know right away it's not this low in alcohol but for napa it's a little softer it's a little more nuanced and whatnot yeah. and they just they couldn't you know they couldn't believe that the wine was was what it was it's like, ah, like how did this get 100 points because <laughs> it's really good it's just not what you like to drink it's yeah which is other reason why, why points are kind of bunk is if you don't like to drink a, a, that, that particular wine the points mean nothing to you right exactly but, well you know it's funny because uh years ago i was um working in an italian restaurant called Viamata, and um we had a half bottle of Chiaro Barolo Tortoniaio, which is like this wow. really awesome little, you know, although definitely not throwing Chiaro in any shade at all. Their Barolos or Barbroscas are, are great wines. Their Barberas are like fucking through the roof. <laughs> They're fucking through the roof. They're like, fantastic. But um, so anyways, the guy gets it. He's like, oh, I hear a lot about these wines. And he pours it and he looks at the color. And the color is very similar because Nebbiolo is a thin in, or it's not a thin, there's not a lot of pigment to it, but there is a ton of tannin. And he's like, this is like Pinot Noir. And I'm like, this is not Pinot Noir. This is Nebbiolo. And he's like, I'm just used to like big, heavy wines. And already, once again, we established Nebbiolo, Barbaresco, Barolo, those get to 14 and 15% on cool years. Um, he couldn't drink it because it was so tannic that he was, he couldn't. And so acidic. And like people that, and I'm going to throw shade at Napa here, or Napa drinkers, no offense, you guys talk about tannin, you don't know tannin <laughs> until you've had Nebbiolo. This has a lot of tannin to it, um, surprisingly, because the main grape Corvina is typically not a tannic grape. Yeah. Um, I've had some Burgundies of Pinot Noir that are more tannic than Napa Cabs, but it's just like, we call like sweet tannins, where it's just, it's like biting into a plum and you get a little bit of like that kind of mm -hmm. uh, dry feeling on your palate, but it's all this rich fruit. But it was just so funny because he was, he looked at the color. I'm like, first of all, we don't look at people that are darker skin and think they weigh more. <laughs> it has nothing to do with yeah. the weight of the wine. It's the alcohol content. That's the weight of the wine. It's just a grape that doesn't have a lot of pigment. Corvina doesn't have a lot of pigment to it. So you uh, get this like real beautiful color to it. Yeah, Nebbiolo and Pinot Noir, it's interesting he said that, because those, those are the two grapes that literally, unless it's a, unless it's a mutation in there, it's not one of those anymore, is missing the blue chemical compound in the skin outright. Mm -hmm. they're not, that's the, which is why they're never going to be... If you, if, you see, if you have a purple Pinot Noir, it ain't, they, it's, it ain't they, Pinot. They added purple to it. Yeah, if you, if you have a purple <laughs> Nebbiolo, uh, they, they, they screwed with that wine. It's not... <laughs> it, it, Color-wise, you can narrow things down with those two in particular, just kind yeah. of... And yeah, I mean, like even you're going back in the very beginning, talking about the color of this wine, you know, how light it is, it looks, I would assume, burgundy looking yeah. at it, you know. The sheen on the, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about color on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's just a sheen on this wine. It's just pretty to look at in the glass. Yeah. We'll have to put a photo of it up. At, you know, on the on on the Instagram or whatnot, so people can see it. It's just it's really it's a really pretty wine. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the giveaway that it's not for me, um, if we, if I were to taste this blind, because I know what it is now, I would totally nail it. Um, I wouldn't, but uh, you know, I initially said Beaujolais. There's more. T there's too much tannin, I think, for 
a Beaujolais this color. Um, and actually Beaujolais in general, or, or Gamay, has a lot of pigment yeah. to it. They're dark looking. It's like Montepulciano de Abruzzo. It's, it's a dark pigmented grape, but they make extremely light fruity wines. Um, here it's a light pigment, but it's make, making this really beautiful fruity, yummy thing. And so I always, I always get this wrong. So there's uh, Corvina and all its kind of offshoots are allowed into Valpolicella mm -hmm. and Amarone and so on. Rodinella and Molinara, the other two historic indigenous grapes. Yep. One of them, I always get it wrong, which is why I'm asking. So one of them is now considered more of a filler, doesn't really add much to the blend, so it's no longer actually required. Okay, I always say Rodinella. I, 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 I would have got it wrong again. I don't know why I do that. I've been corrected a million times. I should know it by now. But yeah, and it's and it's not. It's interesting because the Molinara is still in this wine. So the grape is somewhat falling out of fashion. They don't really put it in Amarone anymore, unless you're one of those houses that wants to be you know, use the historic blend type yep. thing. Because uh, they, they think you can make a better wine without it. Uh, it's not like two or 3% in this either. It's like 20-ish percent, I believe, is is in this. And one of the knock on it, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, is that it does not add, it, does, it doesn't add complexity. It doesn't add weight. It's not adding structure. So it's just kind of there, like it, it just it's it's somewhat bland, for for a, you know for lack of a, a better term. So so why use it? Um, well, from my perspective, you know would again I think this wine is very elegant. I like this style of wine in, in general. If you t if you remove that twenty-ish Molinara from this and you have more Corvina or Corvino Grassa or or, or Rodinella, is it? Um, does it become too fruity for my palate? Does the tanning become a little off balance? Is the, is the, is the acidity slightly too high? So, so again, it's, for me, it's, the, it's interesting. They still choose to use that grape. They still see its value in making this blend. Mm -hmm. And this wine is awesome. I tried this a couple weeks ago and I fell in love with it. I wish we had more of it. Uh, to, to play with, but uh, that is the uh, the the grape has its place and is still to me it's still adding maybe it's adding to this by not screwing with everything else that is is going on in the glass. I, I, it's, you helping, know, it's, it's helping with balance. I think that's a great point because I never really thought of it that way. Um, you know that uh, when they're creating these blends, there's always a certain part of the blend that does add volume to it because if you add, let's say, more um, Corvina, are you adding more fruit? If you're adding more Rondinella, are you adding more tannin? Um, it's the same with, so I just got back from Scotland. I just went to Scotland recently. And uh, and I was talking to, we were at Aberfeldy and I was talking to uh, this tour guide, young guy, I wish I remember his name, but he was brilliant. He was so fun. But um, we were talking about blended, not blended scotches, but malted blends. Um, which we were taking uh, single malt whiskeys and blending them from different houses, different distilleries, which is different than like a blended scotch, which is using a grain whiskey as a base. But even in those blended malt whiskeys, there's always one item that's the main item that's kind of the filler. That adds um, 
you know, it's more of a neutral product. And then the other things add the richness. I mean, it's like a stock, you know, um, although this is only 20% uh, Molinara, but like a stock is mostly water, right? The water's not giving a flavor. It's all the other stuff you have. And if you just want to add the flavor, then seemingly keeping that same mindset, you get rid of the water, but then all you have are a bunch of vegetables. Yeah. And um, that's no fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> so kudos to them for doing that. That's a, that's a great, uh, I love that. That's, that's really cool. Because it's a grape that you don't really hear as being important, but it's making a great wine. Yeah. So then it's important. They used it for a reason, right? <clears throat> I mean, it's, and look, we, we can say about Chianti had Trebbiano. I mean, they used that for a reason too. Might not have been a good one, mm -hmm. but, but they used it for a reason. And the, I have not found the reason for, for Molinara to be, you know, kind of silly. It, it, it was there because it, it worked. Yeah. And it still works because it's, the, this wine is gorgeous and it's in there, right? So. Can we talk a little, uh, uh, a little history of a famous person that lived here? Mm-hmm. Um, of course. The guy who helped create the Italian language. Just being an excuse to have more wine. Exactly. Absolutely. That's all I have. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, there we go. Dante Alighieri, right? He, he was from Florence, but he moved to, when he was in exile, he went to, um, to Verona because at that point it wasn't part of the Roman Empire, Holy Roman Empire. It was its own kingdom, and that's where he ended up staying. And one of the other producers in the area that we represent, Masi, was in the uh, Via the Masi or the, the Masi Valley, which is one of the valleys in Vapolicella, and he founded this vineyard, um, which is the, the Via da Moron uh, from um, Masi, which I don't think we care anymore, but no, um, it was a really, really cool wine. But that was, that was the Alighieri family's vineyard that the Boschioni family that owned Masi ended up purchasing. And they're still connected, like they still consult with, with the Alighieri, like the ancestors of Dante. Oh, wow. Which is really cool. Yeah, a little fun, fun fact. That's awesome. You know, just throwing the history knowledge today. Look, Look at, at that. that. That's I literary see. too. It's, it's Dante. You know, it's, it's amazing it's, what Google will do. Right. Uh, no, I didn't Google that five minutes before because I didn't know what you were bringing. But I was excited because I wanted to try this. What's well, killer wine? Uh, the one one last note on this: we have to talk about Le Naturel, but the the we have to. I want about he headaches for a minute. So, we hear this all the time. Be at a tasting or dealing with dinner and. Some will say they just went to Italy or France or wherever it was. You know, I was over there and we drank all day and I didn't have a headache or a hangover the next day and blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, it's, it's the sulfites. It's the first thing they say to us. It's the sulfites. And you try and go, well, I mean, you know, maybe, I don't know. But you, you walk them through and you try to explain um, how, unless you actually have a, one of those people that have a real sulfite um, allergy. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the sulfites and that there's sulfites in every wine and those wines you had over in Italy or France or wherever you were had they had sulfites in them too the I think this wine in particular though is a great example of, of another thing in it this is dry mm-hmm so there's no extra sugar yep and it's lower in alcohol yep so if you're at some random spot in Italy or France and they're just giving you a table wine I guarantee you that suck is not 16% alcohol 
and it does not have <laughs> crazy amounts of sugar in it. Exactly. Anyway, so the, so the it, it's it's not just the sulfites. One, it's that you're in Italy and you're having a fabulous time. And you're eating <laughs> pasta. Yeah. Like, it's bread. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's where you are. It's who you're with. It's probably a lower ABV wine. It's probably a, uh, a lower sugar wine, if not a fully dry wine. And take it probably does have lower sulfites in it because it's not being shipped over to another country so all those things combined yes is probably why you don't have a headache the next yep. day but it's all those things together it's not just the it's not just that it doesn't have the sulfites that you know something else might happen exactly so. and then after lunch and after you have your couple glasses of wine you get up and you walk around the, the piazza which i'm assuming is a big giant Pizza? Pizza, yeah. <laughs> in the center. You just walk around to, Sorry, to, to work off all that you ate and get hungry so you get ready for dinner. That's what I was in piazza. <laughs> or Enrico in, in Palazzo. Yep. It's a, that's a Naked Gun reference. Chiro has just banned <clears throat> us from pulling Italian wine for the next... Uh... <laughs> all right, so now we're going we're gonna to jump over to a wine that the color is very different. Ooh. The um, style of wine to me is, is actually kind of similar. What is the alcohol content? Oh, it's actually much it's higher, higher, much higher. Um, this is a wine called Le Natural, which means natural. Uh, and what the hell does that mean? There's no actual like real designation of what is a natural wine. But typically it means a wine without sulfites. Um, it can be kind of controversial for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's some bad ones out there. Um, you know, produced in, in vineyards. Well, and that's, I shouldn't say that, that's very subjective, but for some people, a natural wine is letting the grapes do what they do and then going out and harvesting them and then letting them ferment and then bottling it up. Basically what a farmer would have done a couple hundred years ago. Um, this is a winery that takes a lot of care of the vineyards. This is organically farmed. Um, it is USDA organic certified. It is vegan as well um and uh and they don't add any sulfites to it so it kind of qualifies for that natural but they do a lot of care in the vineyards um they they really take care of their winery the winery itself is moving towards what's relatively carbon neutral or, or heading there um so they use a lot of natural lighting um it's it's an ecological place but the the backstory is that in 98, something like that, there were these two hippies uh, that decided they wanted to uh, start uh, natural, make natural wines and organic wines, and they started this winery. 2008, the market crashed. They were going to lose everything. Entered the Vintai Wine Company, which produces wines like Bardo Sorbantica. Um, they produce, obviously, this wine here. Uh, another one you see in the market, Lopez Aro, which is their flagship family home in Rioja. They have basically 13 different wineries and 13 different deals throughout Spain. And they came in and they purchased this winery from the two hippies. They kept the hippies, like, you know, fixtures or, or like a like a fountain. Um, no, they, they, they still work there. They actually consult with, uh, with the Vintai Wine Company and with the winemakers. Um, so they're very much actively engaged and involved in this. Um, this is coming from Navarra, Spain. So we're in between Rioja and the Pyrenees in the northern part of Spain. And Navarra is a pretty diverse area. Um, it's part of the Ebro Basin. Uh, you have aspects that are very Mediterranean, hot and dry, arid, 
Um, and then you have in the northern part, you have a lot of more calcareous clay, some limestone, but it's cooler. They're right next to the, um, in between the Pyrenees and the Sierra Cantabria Mountains. So it's relatively cool. It's maybe an hour drive from Pamplona. Okay. Uh, so you can do the running of the bulls, have some jamon and some natural wine, and, um, and that's it. But we're mostly Grenache. Uh, they don't really talk about all the grapes that are in here. There's like in Navarra, Tempranillo is not king. It's not the. It's actually not even. A Spaniard or a Spanish wine person might argue with me, but it is not the most important Spain, uh, grape in Spain, Tempranillo. Um, I would say Grenache or Garnacha is probably the most important grape. You're going to see it in more areas. Um, either as a blender or as a main varietal. Tempranillo you see a lot in Rioja, Ribeiro del Duero. Uh, you see it in La Mancha and Castellón, that kind of like heart of Spain, and they are amazing. I actually have one we can taste a little later. Um, super complex wines, but different climates need different grapes, and here Grenache is, is the main varietal you find. And then some Bordeaux varietals randomly, and Chardonnay for some reason. There is a really pleasant sour note on the finish of this wine. Right mm -hmm. um, I don't know what you know what it's in combination with if it's, if it's you know biting into a uh, slightly under-ripened fruit or, or whatnot but there's just this it, it when we talk about bitterness or sour it's normally in a negative connotation is, is someone approaching us right now what's that no you're fine have a seat oh go yeah. right ahead it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place for it <laughs> no. oh no do your thing please yeah. so um but it's the, you know, we talk about bitterness as being, you know, a bad thing, right? But mm -hmm. if you drink black coffee, you like dark chocolate, it's a, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, how many people still, like, just destroy a bag of Sour Patch Kids? So, like, we don't, it's, it's, sour and bitter is not always bad. There's, there's something, I just can't pinpoint what it is. Um, but it's just really pleasant sourness. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and it's not, it's not a citrus, it's not lime, it's not lemon or anything like that, but it's this really pleasant, refreshing, kind of almost palate cleansing sourness in the end. It's, it's so interesting you say that, like, I never, I never, I mean, I always felt that, but I never picked up on it, but now you say like Sour Patch Kids, and like, now I can kind of get like that feeling when my kids give me like the little sour uh, worms or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you get that tart, but then there's like little residual sweetness. It's a really cool, balance um you know i was talking to someone about this the other day and i think one of the controversies with natural wines is that people think that it's a fad or hey listen there's a lot of other great producers around the world and they're conventional wines and all that matters is that you like it or is it good and that natural wines it's just people want to do it because it's natural or they don't know what they're doing but the reality is you know and i, and I really started thinking about this a couple weeks ago and i was at an account talking to um a young buyer, this, this young woman, Eliza, um, and, you know, super alternative person, tattoos, beer drinker. And I'm like, Eliza, when you became, before, when you became a wine buyer, or when you started getting into wine, what were you mostly drinking? She's like, beer. I'm like, and what were you, what beer were you drinking? It wasn't Harpoon, 
maybe it was it was Miller High Life because you know she was working in restaurants and or whatever. Like it's the end of the shift, you, you and, pound one down, and, and it's like what gold. Is, is what it, it, is. Sure, and <laughs> but um, you know the beers that that young wine buyers are drinking today are uh, unfiltered IPAs, which are cloudy and somewhat sour and sweet and bitter. They are um, uh, Belgian sours, Belgian ales, um, traditional Lambeck, like um, Crucian, which is this awesome, it's not Lindemann's framboise Lambeck, that's fake, that's soda. Um, if you like it, great, enjoy it. I actually like it, but it's not Lambeck. Uh, Lambeck traditionally is done in these like um, farmhouses in the rafters, windows open or the rafters open, uh, the doors, whatever. So the wind, like today, comes out and all the yeast comes in and integrates with whatever fermentation you're doing. And that creates kind of a sour, um, farmy, funky aroma, like like uh, Brettanomyces, which is bacteria you find in farms and like that gives some like um, some wines like Chateau Le Brun, which is a, a new wine from the Medoc, has this farmy barnyard kind of funk to it that to me is just so beautiful. But that's what young buyers like. Yeah. And um, this is the new generation of wine drinker. Um, you know, this is not an, you know, I don't want this to come across the bad way, but like the yoga mom who is going to do something because it's trendy, which is also totally fine um, and important because that's how trends become mainstream. But, you know, this is, a, I think, in some ways, a movement of a lot of young people who want something that's different, who also drink beer. Because a lot of wine people, you know, that are older, if they drink a beer, they might drink a Harpoon IPA, which is, you know, great and, and enjoyable or or Sam Adams, but they're not drinking like super funky, weird beer. Yeah. But a lot of young people are doing it and they're going towards natural wines. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so this wine was initially brought into the state for the Barcelona restaurant group. Um, there are three now, the third one just opened up in Cambridge um, and they, they have probably like 20 wines they on their by the glass they go through two each location goes through about two cases a week oh, on wow. this wine they crush it um, because it's enjoyable it's good um, there's an interest in it there's a curiosity about it but also those new buyers they want something that is not um, you know the classic burgundy they don't want like Ricasola is a great producer from Tuscany. They want something else. And so, you know, here it is. And um, and it's a fun wine. Yeah, yeah, you made a comment before you didn't want it to, you said it was subjective. There's a lot of, oh, there's there's plenty of bad natural wine out there. And that, that that's not subjective, That that's a fact. And like anything else in life, there, there's good, there's bad, and there's average, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the whole reason average exists, is to explain the, you know, the phenomenon, right? Um, but that same, concept holds true for conventional wine oh yeah there's a lot of bad <laughs> conventional wine out there too we get to and, taste it a lot <laughs> yeah like and, and, and we get bad might be the wrong word but not interesting whatever whatever word you want to use the 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 idea that um, which is why i don't like the it being called a fad either is the the level of to of to which it grows in popularity 
okay? Like it might be really hot right now or for the next few years and then die off a little bit, but it's never gonna go away because it's adding value in a layer of something different to the wine marketplace that isn't there otherwise. Yeah. And that's that's why it's important to me is that the, the, there are good ones out there. The, the bad ones will eventually, you know, taper off a little bit. Some, some will survive because stuff always survives, right? Um, but in general, if it's, if it's well-made and it's interesting, it will survive. Yep. And this is, I said that when you were talking, um, cranberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like a, 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 not a dried one, a, a fr- like you know, a fresh, yeah, cranberry. fresh cranberry. That's that, you know, um, better that, that, that little bit of uh, sourness. That's mm-hmm. what it was. It came to me when you were talking. And but, tannin too. Yeah. Like cranberries have a lot of tannin to them. And you know, it's the, they'll, they'll be around cause they, they, if they're good, they add value. Someone, someone will drink them. You know, yep. there's the, the, okay. So the, the, the government, I believe, the, the TTB, whatever it is, they, they track this nonsense. And out there, you know, we think of these, you know, massive wine uh, brands. No wine brand has ever grabbed a 5% share of the wine business in this country. So think about that for a minute. All the fronds here that's out there, all the barefoot. All the Woodbridge, all the Almaden, all the Cabot, all the keep going down, the Kendall Jackson, the Yellowtail, the Josh, this, and those, those, there's a huge brands, huge, and none of them are yet to grab a 5% share of the wine market because wine drinkers like diversity. They like different things. They want to try yeah. new things, especially the, the, the new people coming up, the new wine, the, the it's just that they're exposed to different things. They want to try different things. They care about different things. Yeah. And, you know, like this is, uh, if you just poured me this wine, and I saw it before too. So if you just poured me this wine, what do you think? I just said, this is really freaking tasty. <laughs> <laughs> the natural or, or not. And, that, and the story is cool and it's important. We should tell it. But also like, this is just, this is just really good wine. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's exactly, that's why it's going to do well. Exactly. And I mean, it's been, it's been such a cool brand and, and you see it in, I think a variety of different places. Like they're, you know, bigger like package stores that are, are starting to, to take notice. I mean, they're not going through like a ton of it, like, you know, but they're, they're putting it on the shelves, but then restaurants are cranking through it. Small stores are cranking through it. Um, I wish I like thought of like bringing down the, an ice bucket. Cause I think putting, putting that on ice. Both like, of these would have been nice on ice. Yeah. Um, way better than Reuniti on ice, by the way. Um, it's a fine product. Brought to you by Horizon Beverage. That's his harpoon, by the way. Exactly. I like harpoon. Uh, it's, it's really funny. I did a blind tasting of beer with, um, my staff. We had 30 beers on tap at my last restaurant and they used to hate on harpoon. Like, why do we even still carry that? Because we go through like five kegs a week. Like we're going to keep on carrying it. But, um, I did a blind tasting. And it was Harpoon IPA. And everyone had a little Harpoon. And everyone was guessing, like, this is back when Pretty Things was a beer. Is it Pretty Things? Is it is this a Jack Sabby, you know, uh, Jabby Brown? Or, like, some kind of, like, hoppy lager. Um, and at the end, after five minutes, they were like, well, like, well, what do you guys think of this beer? Like, oh, this is really good. Guys, it's Harpoon. Like, just because you see it everywhere, and it's, it's going back to some of those brands, because you see it everywhere doesn't mean that it's bad. 
And sometimes I think the problem with the natural wine movement in stores and in restaurants, and I, I understand where it's coming from, but it's coming from this place of, well, I see it everywhere, so I don't want it. And part of that reason, you know, part of the minutia of, of what it is we do day in and day out in selling wine, dealing with customers that maybe have a small store and those big national brands you see everywhere, for somebody to get the best price, you can buy it at $14.99, they got to buy 25, 30, 50 cases um, a time. And small stores can't do that. So that same product might be $23 or $24 on their shelf. So they don't want to see that because obviously wine is a, is a product of consumption and consumers and you walk in as a consumer and you're like, all right, I can buy that down the street for 14 bucks. I'm going to buy it there. Um, and so they look at a lot of these wines as being really important because it helps them, um, or the Vapalicello for that matter, it helps them in gaining a market that you don't necessarily see at the big, you know, totals or, you know, big supermarket chains and things like that. Why do you, why do you go to that more local specialty food store, cheese store, what, what, you know, what have you? Well, one is you, you, maybe you're like me and you, you know, crowds give you anxiety. So you want to avoid them. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, like walking into a market basket like makes me shake. Oh, I can't I, do I, it. I can't do it. There's too many I walk around once. I, I load up half of my groceries. I'm like, nope. I put everything back. And there's, 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 there's just too many people for me. I can't, I can't handle that. Uh, but it's the, you're looking for something different. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, we need market basket. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not knocking it. It's, but if you want something off the beaten path and, and what are those, what are those bigger stores doing now? They're starting to, like they have entire aisles now offering the stuff that small place does because they recognize people like those things. They want to see those things. They're, yep. So they're, they're changing too. Um, but you know, you, you go to that small store because we sell, I'll use the example. There, there's nothing wrong, like there's nothing wrong with Woodbridge. But if you're going to a fine wine shop for Woodbridge, all you're doing is paying more to say that you bought it. You know, maybe you want to because you want to support that location. Yeah. But all you're doing is paying more for a product. You could have got cheaper down the street. Go to that shop to find what, you know, their Woodbridge. Hey, what's your what's your favorite everyday wine? And I bet you they'll have something new and fun and fantastic that you'll love. You just have to ask for it. Yeah. That, again, won't will be the same price as Woodbridge. That won't break the bank. So. Exactly. And, I mean, what I love about these, these wines, too, is that I think they're good for everybody because they're not expensive, you know. But... For those smaller stores that can't, um, that really have to work on a higher markup because it's maybe one guy and his wife or, or you know, or one woman and like one employee, um, you know, and they're, they're struggling to keep the lights on. These wines are great because, I mean, I'll, I'll give a little secret here. I tell them to charge more than what they would normally charge. You're looking at wines at around like 17 bucks, give or take, right? Yeah. Um, they over-deliver for the money. That extra one or two dollars helps a small business survive. Yeah. And, and to me, products like this are really important because they help small businesses continue. They help small farm-to-table restaurants continue um, that aren't looking at selling you know, 45 cases of you know, um, Sauvignon Blanc like on the Cape through the summer or something sure. like that. It's that place that that um, really kind of 
has a detail of what they're doing and what they're offering. And they're offering something that's great and special. And I think these wines kind of really fit well in there. Yeah, it's there. I mean, when the camera goes off, we're gonna drink both these bottles probably what's gonna happen. Because we're gonna go put a chill on them just to see how they're different. And they're <laughs> and, uh, like, well, immediately. I, I, did, ooh, I did sneak ooh, one more ooh, in. Ooh. We have a third. Because um, I was curious about the vintage. It was just vintage. Just, we just got it in a, a couple weeks ago, and I haven't, read, my arm. haven't uh, tried it yet. So this is also from the Vintai Wine Company from Spain. This is their wine called Bardos Romantico, from an area called Rebira del Duero, or Rebira, which means riverbank. The Duero River starts in um, Spain, uh, just south of the Sistema Ibérico in Rioja and heads out west towards the Douro, where it becomes in Portugal, out to Porto. Um, so it's the second largest uh, river, one of the most important rivers in Spain. But I just wanted to, to open it up to try it because I was just so curious about the, the year. Um, but it's 100% Tempranillo. Um, which is not king. Which is not king. I mean, there's no real king of grapes. I, you know, even in France, France doesn't have a king of grape. Like, every region has its own... Maybe in California, because we buy based on varietal. Sure. And in France and in Spain and in Italy, they plant based on varietal, based on region and climate and history. But, um, you know, this is a wine that to me just super over delivers. It's, it's uh, aged 14 months in French oak, but it's from an area. So first of all, like Ribera, most of the wineries are, it's what's called the Golden Mile. So either north or south of the river. One mile, that's where everyone is. Pescara's there, uh, Vega Cecilia, a ton of great producers are there. You go further north um, in the, the uh, province of, of Burgos, or as I, I like to call it, Burgers. Um, they, <laughs> they, uh, there's a small little area called Palma de Cocos where this is located, and they call it the Forgotten Zone. A little wasp hornet. Hello, friend. Flying around there. But because it's we're talking about organic wines, it's, yeah. bees it's very important. Exactly, yeah, um, as important as ladybugs. But uh, so in this area, they it's really difficult to grow crops. So there's not a lot of production here. It's the highest elevation in the region, around close to three thousand feet above sea level. Oh, wow. um, and it's right on the foothills once again, or in the Sierra Cantabria Mountains which creates a rain shadow, a rain shadow from the Bay of Biscay. So you get cool temperatures in the night, but you get hot temperatures during the day and you get a lot of sunshine and it produces to me like a super elegant Tempranillo. It's really pretty. It's really pretty. And, and it's softer than I thought it would be for Tempranillo. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm thrilled by it just because I think the first two wines have been soft. I got, I might have not in the mood for a, it's too hot for yeah. a, a gigantic viscous you know bomb right now. Um, it's, it's it's very elegant for, for temper. I mean I know Tempranillo can do that. But. And it is. I mean, it's two points higher than the Vapolicella. It's fourteen point five percent alcohol. Is it really? Yeah. I never would have guessed that based on the balance of this one. Yeah. Um, also vegan. A lot. Of, it's not organic, but it's a lot of sustainable uh, farming. <laughs> And uh, this one has been, I think, once again, for a wine under 20 bucks, has been like one of the best wines. That That's awesome. So just a really quick note, we keep, we keep saying wines are vegan. 
So the the main culprit when you're when you're finding or filtering a wine, putting you putting uh, meat putting yeah. meat in. Yo, absolutely. Steak, you, you drop dipping, a T-bone. That's how it gets like that meaty flavor. You dip a steak in, absolutely. you know, for a cabernet, and then yeah. a little wagyu right in there. <laughs> the, uh, but no, it's egg white. If you've ever dropped, uh, you know, cracked an egg and dropped a shell into the egg white, you know what a pain it is to get out. Well, that's what they use to get all the sediment when they're when they're. It's called fining. Uh, it's a great way to get the sediment out of out of a wine. So. We're not using any of those something like that in the in the finding process. Yeah. So, and if, if you're if you're a real if you're a true vegan and you don't want anything like that being used, it's it's, it's important to know. So exactly. You're not one of those Monday through Friday vegans. I'm a vegan, but uh, once in a while I do like a steak. So, you know, like the <laughs> just because you said that, I, I got to scratch an itch. Got to do it. Total tangent. Do you know why? So the again, I, I'm a recovering Catholic for for whatever that for all the things that that means. I am all those things and more. <laughs> so in Lent, right? Mm-hmm. You can have fish on Fridays in Lent. You can't have meat, but you can have fish. What is fish? I'll tell you what it is. It's meat. Do you know why you can have fish on Fridays in Lent? Oh, it's because it was uh, it was uh, all the the fish um, like farm like fishermen that like lobbied the Catholic Church. Lobbied right? the Pope, yeah. There, yeah. A, there was a Pope who really liked eating fish for all intents and purposes, and he got lobbied, and he said, "You know, yeah, sure, we'll allow." <laughs> so it's like so it, it's this, it's this rule that people abide by, like for lack of a better term, religiously. <laughs> <laughs> and it's completely arbitrary. Sorry, I didn't as, as most rules are you know, arbitrary. You know. Right. What is an arbitrary? Getting into that kind of discussion, we got, we're going to go there. You know. I mean, we've already had uh, close to a bottle and a half of wine between the two of us. Mm. So yeah. Why not? Let's do it. We can definitely get there. So yeah, this is these were really cool wines. Yeah. I really love that that Vapolicello. I've been wanting to try it, so I'm really glad to taste it. You know, um, and it's yeah. Well, you know, especially now that uh, our friend Claudio has left us, we need something else that's not Masi to sell. So that's true. You know, so that, that that's the main reason. Yeah, so oh, that's day. his portfolio now. So we, he, he, I sent him a text the other day, um, asking him if I can have a bogo, which means buy one get one. And it's what we do in our industry when we want to move a product and it's not moving. Can we give them a free case if we buy if they buy a case? We call it bogo, buy one get one, and it's always the joke with him. He's like. You guys need to learn how to, s- I won't swear like he does, like, need to learn how to sell. You can't sell. And this is a boco, and this is a free good. You can't sell it. I'm becoming angry like Nick. Nick's <laughs> not angry anymore. He's a giant hippie, apparently. He's, well, I think he's always been a giant hippie. Yeah, but he's even worse now. He looks like one, though. Does he really? Yeah. He, um,. You know. I, we were texting back and forth recently, and then I asked him how he was doing. He's like, oh, you know, because he sells weed. He's like, oh, I'm just doing what I can to help all the people that you contaminate with with wine. And I said, well, you know, I'm just trying to keep you in business. <laughs> so, <laughs> there right. we go. Should I lead out with a little more blind faith? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Let's see. Well, we might get an ad first. Because we're on YouTube. That's all right. Let's see. Hold on. The reception out here is very bad. 
I'm sure we're getting a lot of wind. So I'll do that. Yep. Let's see. I need to think of some new pop artists that I pepper you with to uh, ask you to play every week. I'm surprised you haven't asked me for Harry Styles yet. You know? You like Harry, though. That won't aggravate you. I, I do, yeah. I do. You know? That won't aggravate you. It's going to be something that will aggravate you. All right, we'll just pretend that this is fading out. Because <laughs> it's That's not loaded. Absolutely.